We remain standing for the reading of the gospel from Luke's gospel, the 10th chapter, 1 through 11 and 16 through 20. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to towns, to every town and a place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what's set before you. Cure the sick who are there. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near you. And in verse 16, whoever listens to you listens to me. And whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I've given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. For crying out loud, he sat about barefooted and broke, without even a peanut butter sandwich and a knapsack. We don't do things this way. Two weeks ago, we ordained Nathan Mars. We never asked him to take his shoes off and leave them behind. We never asked him to take a vow of poverty. We never asked him to go door to door in the Highlands and see if he could find somebody who might feed him. Jesus said, I'm sending you to be lambs in the midst of wolves. We've lived in the same place now for over 30 years, and I've been jogging those streets ever more slowly year after year. And this one day, I was halfway daydreaming as I ran, and then suddenly there is this German shepherd who had not read the instructions on the invisible fence. He came charging across the yard and into the street, snarling and snapping with his fangs bared at me. Now I know I should stand still and speak sternly to the dog. 
My feet did not know that. They kept backing up and backing up until I bumped into a mailbox, and there by the mailbox was a metal rod shoved into the ground to give a flower a chance to grow around and spiral upwards. And without any regard to this person's property rights, I took their metal rod. I didn't like feeling like a lamb before a wolf or feeling like lunch for a German shepherd. I don't know if we should struggle with this passage or just call adult protective services on Jesus. You have to wonder what Luke is telling his readers. Jesus, in the previous chapter, has determined to go to Jerusalem. It's a, it's a dramatic, dangerous decision. And the disciples have been arguing like so many siblings over who's the greatest. And they stopped somebody from casting out demons, and Jesus said, no, no, he's on our side. And the village refused to receive him, and they wanted to call down fire on them. And Jesus, again, had to say, no, we don't do that. And there were lots of would-be believers, but they had lots of really good excuses. Ever picture Jesus just kind of rolling his eyes up to heaven and saying out loud, what were you thinking, God? Our text begins with these two words, after this. Why? Luke writes so often of the poor and the marginal and Jesus' embrace of them. He writes to an audience a couple of generations removed from the miracle of the resurrection when the initial wave of enthusiasm has waned, when they themselves find themselves a people of scarcity and vulnerability who likely may be asking themselves, wait, what are we doing here? Why, why are we here? Or maybe as our interim goes longer, we might ask ourselves, what are we doing here? Or maybe it's just a personal thing, a place of wondering at some point in life, what am I really doing here? Shuffling off to a job, shuffling home, and doing it again and again. Why am I here? And I think to those questions, Luke recounts this tale of Jesus sending the 70. He says the harvest is plentiful. We, we're urban people. But he's saying it's really urgent. But even more, he's saying the laborers are needed. What you have, your abilities, your heart and soul are needed. And he sends them with nothing, really, no shoes, no provisions. He wants them to go in scarcity and in vulnerability. He wants them to learn from experience what it is to be desperately poor. And we feel the need, we understand the urgency. When we feel hunger in our own hearts and souls, we understand the fear about where's the next meal coming from. When we feel the stinging rain and the searing sun, we understand the urgency of shelter. When we literally fear for our lives, we understand the urgency of someone who will take us in and show us hospitality. He tells them to greet no one. And this is really kind of a humorous thing. They, they had a great social ritual when you ran into somebody. You ask about the other person, how's their health been for the last month? a thorough account, 
How's your wife? How's your, your mom? How's your dad? How's your grandma and grandpa? And back for generations. And how are all of your 13 children one at a time? And then it'd be repeated for the other person. It took a long time to run into somebody on the way. And Jesus is saying, don't get distracted. And he tells them to do three things. One of those is if and when, if and when you find a house, eat and drink what's set before you. Now, Jesus, shouldn't we check about the kosher first? Shouldn't we see that they're observing all the laws that make you pious? But Jesus is saying, dare to stay with those on the margins, those on the fringes. Live your life differently. Live free from smothering religiosity. And by this, you affirm them. You accept them. The harvest is urgent. There's a need for what we bring. And he tells them to heal the sick. I can imagine the disciples rolling their eyes at heaven and saying, what are you thinking? But we need to remember the social nature of illness, how they very quickly in serious illness got cut off from family and from community. Remember how afraid we were in the AIDS epidemic? How quickly people would stay away? How quickly we would separate ourselves out of fear? Heal them. Restore folks to community. Overcome that fear that drives a wedge between us. Next Saturday, there's a race in southern Indiana started by a, she was a teenager in a church where I was in her. Now she's a teacher with two children of her own. But it's a ballot village in Africa because in that nation, when a man dies of AIDS, they still throw the family out of the village with nothing. No way to provide for themselves and no shelter. And the village sees to restore them to a place of safety and give them community and food. Heal the sick, said Jesus. And say, the kingdom of God has come near. That's an odd thing to say. But it's about helping people see what God is like and leaving it with them. Help them see by who we are and by how we live. With, with this physical closeness of being in their home, you're helping them see God in new ways. Not the God who demands that they do everything and prove their acceptability, but a God of love and justice, of grace and freedom, of reconciliation and forgiveness, a God of healing and hope, of God of restoring and community. It's an invitation to see the world differently by your very presence and to see ourselves differently in that world. It's an invitation to see the sacred in one another. It's an invitation, but not a demand. And after these instructions, Jesus says, well, if you're not accepted, just dust off your feet and say, again, the kingdom of God has come near you. The sacred has brushed by. 
In the previous chapter, there was a village that didn't accept, and they wanted to bring down the fire and consume them. So you have bringing down fire on one hand and just dusting off your feet on the other. One is a lot gentler, but the saying is the same. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. The sacred has brushed by. Did you see the news item this week? The African-American couple who went online and enlisted a contractor to come and fix their broken golf cart. And the contractor showed up flying a huge rebel flag, a Confederate flag, off the back of his vehicle, and he backed it into their driveway so the flag is kind of right there in their faces. I love what the woman did. She went out right away and said, I'm sorry, sir. I know you've come a long way, but we're going to go with someone else. And her husband offers the explanation. She's upset with the flag. And she said, oh, I'm beyond upset with the flag. And the contractor offers to take it down. And she says, no, no, you believe what you need to believe, but we're not spending our money to promote hate. The contractor left, and a few minutes later, he sent her a text message. The text message read, I didn't know the Confederate flag offended you all. I didn't know he was living on another planet. But she texted back, yes, it's offensive to all people of color. I hope this small interaction causes you to do some research about how Americans feel about the Confederacy. A firm no, a dusting off of her feet, but also a hope. The sacred has brushed by. Investigate. Learn. There's hope for you. Years ago, when we lived in Rolla, Missouri, Rolla, you have to understand, was virtually an all-white town. An African-American couple moved to town, Harvest and Shirley Collier. I should say Dr. Harvest Collier. He taught classes at the university that I'm sure I would have failed had I taken them. They visited our church one Sunday. I followed up and gave them a call and even had lunch with Harvest. And then several Sundays went by and they weren't there. And one Sunday they showed up and they joined. I asked him how come he joined our church. I was just curious. And he said, of all the churches we visited, yours was the only one that followed up and called us. You were the only one who asked to have lunch. That's no feather in my cap. That's just what ministers do. But it is to say this brilliant man and his wife who had a rollicking sense of humor that the sacred came near. And so much of the all-white town missed it. The disciples return and they're happy with their success and Jesus briefly celebrates with them. And then there's this weird statement about having the authority to tread on snakes and scorpions without harm. And if snakes and scorpions bother you, put your fingers in your ear now. 
Living in Rolla, we heated our house with wood. It's a huge job to cut enough wood to heat your house with for a winter. And we would go in the spring before it got too hot, and we'd cut wood all day. And we'd leave it in a pile to cure up, to dry out, so it was good wood. We'd go back in the fall after the first frost, because then the bugs wouldn't bother you. But there was always some danger, and we wore boots that came halfway up your, your calf, and you wore thick leather gloves that would come up to here, because snakes love a wood pile. And about the third log that I picked up to throw into the truck, there was a copperhead there right between my feet, coiled and pointing this way, ready to strike. And in that moment, I failed to believe this passage. I don't think this is about being literally true. I think this is about asking the question, what poisons us? Fear. Fear. Last week we got to go to Kansas City and visit the World War I Museum. And the narrator of the initial film talked about all the, the boiling social and political issues going on in Europe at the time. She talked about the causes of war, talked about the prejudice and the ethnic hatred. She talked about grudges. She talked about the disparity of wealth. There was such social unrest, only needing a spark. And the assassination of the Archduke provided it. And within a week, all of Europe was at war. And it became a world war. And nine million people died. Nine times the size of the entire Louisville metropolitan area died. And one of the primary causes was fear. And those same issues that were that boiling cauldron before World War I are still boiling in our world today. What poisons us and Jesus is saying in this, here's how to live in the world gone crazy with fear, gone crazy with hate. This is a call to live with a courageous, loving vulnerability. That's really kind of scary. It's easier to face German shepherds. Well, the disciples returned full of joy about even the demons submitting to them. They said they're so proud of their own power. And Jesus says, don't rejoice about your power. Rejoice that your name are on God's great party list. Rejoice that you are included by God. And know this, when it comes to what we're doing and why we're here, it's this whole work, this ministry of including. Sometimes it's easy, and sometimes it's hard and dangerous even. But it is why we're here. It is that to which we are called. 
Amen.